get a load of me as a freaking werewolf uh let the jack nicholson impressions begin because we are doing our first jack movie on the pick i am your host colin westman and i am joined by john otney and john lemmy tell me something friend you ever dance with the wolf in the pale moonlight Getting a little southern there. <laughs> it's Jack Nicholson as Forrest Gump. <laughs> Life was like a box of chocolates. He never takes his sunglasses off for the whole movie. <laughs> Is that line you're doing, Colin, from the movie? Or, uh, or no. a similar line? Isn't that for Batman? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. Which makes sense. We got two of Batman's greatest adversaries together right. in one movie. That is, yeah. Both coming off Tim Burton Batman movies as the villain. Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer in 1994's Wolf. Uh, by far Jack Nicholson's most notable film, uh, which we'll be talking about. On this episode um but first we gotta do our little picks and uh for my little pick you know since i guess we'll be i don't know in in sort of the same zone <laughs> i'll 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 do a sort of horror movie from <gasps> the 30s wow. uh yeah, which I saw for the first time. I saw Freaks <laughs> this uh, this October. Got got to fit it in in between uh, Shocktober movies because they had it on the Criterion Channel along with uh, other movies that were a part of their pre-code horror series. I don't think I'll get around to seeing any more of the movies in that <laughs> if, if they're only around during October because I have too many movies to watch even though there were some that looked pretty cool like there were some um, like two strip Technicolor movies and I have seen very few like very early color films those are always enticing anyways Freaks it's a 1932 film directed by Todd Browning who of course directed the original Dracula um and this is a movie about a, like, sideshow carnival with a bunch of, uh, you know, outsiders, people with disabilities, people who are, you know, not conforming to society because of some sort of, like, physical defect. And um, I guess I was certainly wondering, like, how is this going to hold up? <laughs> Is yeah. it going to just make a spectacle of these characters? And I was surprised. It is actually very empathetic towards the uh, circus performance in the movie because it is about, like, the two people in the show who are, quote-unquote, you know, normal. They don't they don't have any, like, physical abnormalities. It's, like, the strong man and I think it was, like, a trapeze artist. Yeah. 
And so they decide that they're going to murder the dwarf who's basically um, kind of the manager of, of the circus show. Um, and it, it's kind of just about them scheming. And also there's just like scenes of um, the performers just like going about their day. And so it like, I don't know, it, it just presents them in a very down to earth way that I appreciated. And it, it, it's definitely on their side, <laughs> the entire movie, even though like, I, I guess the, the ending where they're kind of like coming for the, the two, you know, tall people who are trying to hatch this plan is unnerving in, in kind of a way that kind of makes them a little scary, I suppose. Um, but it's like they, they deserve it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I guess it, it just has kind of this air of authenticity, I think, because Todd Browning, like, worked in circuses before he became a film director. And so there is sort of this insider perspective on the movie um especially when it like has actual you know siamese twins people with birth defects um i think there's like one woman who's like half woman half man she's like split down the middle like she's two-faced or something um and it's just uh i mean it definitely of that era but uh surprisingly like holds up better than you think it would and um i don't know i guess it's a a horror movie sort of but it doesn't really (laughs) go for the sort of creepy vibe that i guess like the the monster movies of that era did um it's just kind of a an oddity uh and really short. <laughs> if uh, if you just need a, an hour to kill, because um, apparently, like the original cut of it was not were very well received, and um, that doesn't exist, which is unfortunately the case with with a lot of films from that era. Is um, you know, <laughs> just just getting a shorter abbreviated cut of any movie from that era is is like enough of a treasure enough because <laughs> um, <laughs> there's like so many silent films that are just lost to time um, but this is uh, yeah definitely one of those just like fringe oddity cult movies that wasn't really received that well at the time but has grown in stature over the years and I can I can definitely see why after finally catching up with it that ending is very scary it is uh, still, after a billion years, I also like the guy <laughs> yep. with no arms or legs who can light a cigarette. Yeah, it's cool. I've always heard this ruined Todd Browning's career, but I've never found out why. Did they think he was exploiting people, or was it just like you're this is too disturbing? Stop making things. Like I don't know. He he didn't make that many more movies after this. I don't think. I think that I think that was the thing. I don't know if they thought he was exploiting them. I think they just, yeah, found it too disturbing and grotesque, I suppose. But I think, it, yeah, it was just kind of misunderstood at the time. I didn't know that he was a circus performer, though, like you were saying. like So that it's a personal film for yeah. him, too, which is very mm-hmm. interesting. Yep. You know? And um, they, they even came out with a Criterion box set. Like, I think either this week or last. Yeah, like, just came out. 
It's also, yeah. I think, does it have the unknown on it or on the Lon Chaney? I think that yeah. was included with it, yeah. I, I, I've seen that. I, th- I think I've seen that or part of it. Okay. I don't know how I'd see part of it. It's like 60 minutes or something <laughs> where he's like an armless knife thrower. Uh, yeah, that one was pretty good too. So, uh, underrated. And was this film just like like lost or just not like available to watch? I feel like it's one of those films where they're just like lock it up, no one can watch it. I, th- <laughs> I feel like it was, yeah. Like it, it was not widely seen. I think because it just didn't get a great reception when it first came out. So it, it took a while. I, I don't know. It might have not been until like the '60s or '70s when it was shown and as like a midnight movie and started to gain a cult following i guess it was pretty easy to make films disappear back then because like if you're not projecting Mm -hmm. them you know and if they're not on tv they basically don't exist so yeah you just like lock it in the basement somewhere and no one even knows about it (laughs) yep but people appreciate it now i mean even as spoofed lovingly i assume i don't remember on the simpsons i'm sure it was done with the utmost of care in like season 26 or something who knows i remember i seem to recall them doing a treehouse of horror segment Mm -hmm. so people still talking about it Mm -hmm. yeah like sean you gonna check out freaks no but i did check out was uh a movie that i think could be the best movie of the year but only if you watch it in a very specific way I'm talking about Gareth Edwards, the creator. And you can enjoy this movie, but here's the secret. To do so, you have to watch it in another language and turn the subtitles off. Because this movie has some of the worst dialogue you'll ever hear in the mainstream. It's so predictable and ham-fisted and dumb that uh, I'm just someone who pays too much attention to movies to, like, get over how painful the dialogue in this movie was. But if I could take that away and just focus on the Hans Zimmer score and the jaw-dropping, beautiful imagery that makes up this movie, um, I think I would have really, really enjoyed it. Um, and that and that makes sense, right? That's, that's definitely Gareth Edwards' strength. I, I mean, you would count him amongst... Uh, the 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 digital ages uh, most visually distinct uh, directors I think at this point right up there with a uh, Denis Villeneuve, Christopher Nolan, uh, even like Zack Snyder like uh, guys who who have very fun to look at movies. Um, I'm talking about uh, he he had made if you don't remember he's a, he made uh, monsters and then Godzilla and uh, Star Wars Rogue One. Um, and now this is his first, uh, or I guess his return to doing an original movie. Uh, and like, just the more I tell you about it, the more you'll like, you can predict the entire plot. Cause it's just like, well, there was a war between AI and robots and, and, and humans. And now the humans are hunting down the AI and, John David Washington plays a guy who's like undercover with humans who are sympathetic to AI. Uh, and he has a wife that's uh, Gemma Chan who's on their side and then she gets killed. But he's given one last chance to go stop the AI and he gets there and their ultimate weapon's like a little kid robot. And it's just like, ugh. 
It's such an interesting world, and it's so pretty to look at, but it's just the most boring story imaginable. <laughs> um, and it was it was it was achieved in a kind of an interesting way too. That uh, it only had a budget of um, of eighty million dollars, but I would genuinely say it's the best looking movie this year, besides uh, maybe Across the Spider Verse, which is animated, so doesn't really count. Um, and uh, and and he was able to make this movie for eighty million dollars by um, mostly working in Thailand, which I mean that might be exploitative. Who knows how that works? Um, but also, uh, apparently, he uh, edited the entire movie first, and only then did they do the VFX. Um, which is crazy to think how much money must be wasted on on shots in in other movies that don't even make the final cut to, to see that they're able to do so much um, with this budget here. Um, so, so that's pretty cool. And and again, it just looks so great. But then also you see poor Allison Janney just doing the work. That's she did. I, she's done so much Aaron Sorkin, right? And then to just have to do this dialogue, it's just it's embarrassing. It hurts. I, I was hate to she be... in uh, Wolf for a second? <laughs> yeah, she was. She was party guest too. In oh, great. Wolf. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, there's some good cameos in Wolf. I remember some other cameos. <laughs> I forgot that. Yeah, yeah. We'll um. So yeah. So like, I wish I could say go see the creator on the biggest screen possible. While it's, you still can. Because uh, it deserves that, but also it does not deserve that in the English language. So go to a foreign country, find a find someone who's dubbed the creator, go watch it there, and you'll have a great time. This is another one of those like adult and kid movies, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. It's mostly, mostly John David Washington <laughs> and the kid robot uh, who's played by Madeline Yuna. Voyles, uh, who this is her first role, obviously, because she's just a baby. There's got to be other ways to tell stories at this point. Is this all we can do now? <laughs> it's like uh, an, an adult taking a kid under their wing and trying to protect them. And like, this kid is actually the most important thing. I, but I think, like, here is a movie that has a ton of VFX that look great and it wasn't shot on the volume, you know, it was all like sets and locations. I, I really do think this is like I I hope big studios look at this and are like we could make movies that look good again if we just remember like if Disney has a screening with Ant Man Quantumania and the Creator I hope that disparity becomes obvious. Is this come out pro AI where 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 we land on that? Um, well, I mean, the main thing is that, like, uh, America wants to use drones to nuke the planet, and so the AI stops that, so it's like, it doesn't really deal, this movie doesn't get that into any subtleties. That sounds pro-AI to me. It doesn't really get into any subtleties <laughs> or anything interesting. I mean, cause, like, because, like, the AI characters we meet are, like, robot, like, monks, like, literally, like, living in Tibet in, like, monks' robes, like, in temples. <laughs> Like this, there's, there's not a, there are no evil AIs presented at all. I, I'm not 
I'm not in the mood to be rooting for robots right now. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe in our society, maybe that's another reason that uh, this has only just now barely cleared its budget at the box office. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm and, glad it uh, looked cool. Yeah, it looks so good. It's good. Like, like it reminded me of like seeing like Akira or Ghost in a Shell or Blade Runner 2049. Like, just beautiful cyberpunk incredible locations just so cool i'm sure it'd make a great art book that you can put on your coffee yeah. table there you go <laughs> speaking of books i got a book for you so earlier this year i was i was called out for underrating the movie the love witch which is bullshit three and a half stars is a good rating <laughs> that's like the default john rating for things it's a good rating yeah, I I think it's just um, not everyone's aware that the highest you'll give a movie is four stars. Three and a half. Much. Is a it's good, basically it's a almost as high as you go. Yep. It's a good rating. It's I, I included mm-hmm. the Love Witch on my top fifty horror movies of the twenty tens. Mm-hmm. Um, because I rewatched it early this year, and then I rewatched. Uh, or I know I watched for the first time Viva, Anna Biller's first movie, which I'd never seen. If you're not familiar with Anna Biller, she does these weird stylish genre throwbacks that look like they're from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, I know she has a short um, the Criterion Collection that I've been meaning to check out, one of her older shorts. But I, she came out with a book recently. I, I think this is maybe for a movie that she couldn't get made. Because I remember this was, I thought this was going to be a movie and not just a book. But I got the book. Mm-hmm. Um... And it's a gothic thriller romance called Bluebeard's Castle. And uh, it's another throwback where it feels like it's like the 60s or 50s or something. But I think it's actually set in modern day. And it's about a, uh, a mystery writer. And she falls in love with a baron and then is uh, whisked away to his castle. And then he turns into like a monster. Not literally. <laughs> well, though maybe literally. I'm not that far into it. Uh, I, I am a little familiar with the story of Bluebeard. Do you guys know the story of Bluebeard? It's like an old folk tale. No. I don't. I, I could be remembering this incorrectly, and I know I could just Wikipedia, but I'm not going to. I believe the story of Bluebeard is like a woman marries some guy with a writ to the castle, and he's like, I'll give you anything you want. No questions asked, except, except you cannot go into this one room in the castle. Don't go into this one room. Otherwise, you can have everything you want. And then as the story goes on, she's eventually like, I gotta see what's in that room, though. (laughs) And then she goes into the room and finds all the bodies of Bluebeard's past wives. It's like, you... And I don't remember how it ends. I don't remember if he's like... He, like, shows up. He, like, taps her on the shoulder and has, like, an axe or something. (laughs) But, you know... I think we can take away that the lesson is don't fuck with shit you don't know. <laughs> or I guess that's kind of like the Garden of Eden, too, right? It's like you have everything you want, just don't eat from my tree. We don't eat from these apples, you piece of shit. Yeah, but when they ate the fruit, they weren't like, oh, actually, God kills all the other humans for fun. Well, Sean, most of what I learned about the Bible was from the devil's advocate, okay? All right, so. well... <laughs> It seemed like an app comparison, but I guess not. But yeah, I, so I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that folktale 
Bluebeard plays into Bluebeard's castle. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. It's how many pages is this bad boy? It's like it's like a little under four hundred. But I'm like I'm zipping through it, and it's like definitely trashy, like a lot of Annabelle stuff, like just very blunt dialogue it's very sexual but in like a kind of funny way it feels like a trashy romance novel it also feels like a, a throwback to old gothic novels i'm enjoying it um and i'm i'm excited to see where it goes i'm sad that it, it, it she couldn't make it into a movie though there is the you know there's a little author bio at the back of books it says she's got another movie coming out in development at least it says uh, yeah. she's currently in development for a ghost movie set in medieval England, which, again, she's always doing stuff that's like, ah, that's pretty ambitious, right, for the budgets you're working with, but okay. <laughs> Hopefully it comes out someday, and it'll look great, and it'll be too long, and I'll give it three and a half stars. <laughs> <laughs> it's the dream. But you know what else I gave three and a half stars? Wolf. Wolf? Right. The yeah. highest rating I can give. I well, and I think that's important that we that we talk about this at the top because I'm worried anyone that listens to this and hasn't seen Wolf is gonna think we're describing the greatest movie of all time <laughs> because like I just going through the limited notes I have, this movie sounds like the greatest movie of all time on paper, yeah. and it's 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 not. It's it's <laughs> fun. It is it is not the greatest movie of all time. The only way mm-hmm. I could think to put it, to get people in the right mindset, and so I wanted to say this at the top, is this is like watching Teen Wolf have a midlife crisis. Yeah, yeah basically. You know, it, uh, yeah. it, it's 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 a you know. Well, I don't want to. I know I'm sure you got plenty to get into, Colin. But this movie is essentially about a guy going through midlife crisis and kind of feeling emasculated, and then kind of recapturing uh, what it is to be a man by being bitten by a wolf. Yeah. He gets his groove back. He gets his... And he absolutely gets his groove back and then some. <laughs> so, he gets powers that I didn't even think wolves had. Like, the like he's better at, like, feelings. <laughs> is that something... Are wolves, like, really in tune with each other's uh, emotions? Apparently so. All right, I guess it's just come comes from the confidence, the confidence to to know what to say to someone, to know what to ask, to be sensitive. There's so little downside in my eyes about being a werewolf in this movie. <laughs> it just depends on who becomes the uh, werewolf. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you might get you might get thrown in jail. Yeah, for murder or very there, justifiable reason. There there are cops on his tail throughout the whole movie but that's the other wolf that right that i i mean i'm i'm i've watched 10 movies since we i've watched wolf um well he does for sure kill some guys that try to mug him fair enough self-defense yeah i don't want to get into spoiler territory yet though people really Mm. need to to hear a little bit about what happens before (laughs) we get into spoiler territory colin take it away okay um, hmm, where should I begin? I couldn't find that much on the making of this movie, unfortunately. Um, 
I should have read that Mike Nichols' A Life book by Mark Harris that came out a year or two ago. I'm sure there's some good behind-the-scenes stories. Or maybe not, since it's not like this movie is one of Mike Nichols' most revered movies. Oh, well. Uh, but that's what makes it interesting. It's, it's, it had a, had a bunch of very notable people involved, including... Uh, Ennio Morricone does the score for this. Um, okay, so we we've <laughs> we've talked about all the big like movie monsters, really. Um, and I, like I, I I feel like this movie kind of forms our trilogy with uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Which I guess for some reason saw them sort of like re, like reviving the Universal monsters, but in this like sort of big budget, like <laughs> studio context in the '90s, which is all you never you don't see that much. I mean the 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 like big budget horror movie is kind of a rarity. I mean I I feel like we talked about it in a very early episode of the pick because that's like kind of a reason why John liked the It movies is <laughs> you don't see that kind of production value in horror movies. Um, and it happened in the '90s for some reason. I'm not sure it seems why. like it was. It seems like it was a response to. So Bram Stoker's Dracula started this because that was that was ninety two, yeah. and that was a hit. Mm-hmm. So I think everyone was just kind of in the wake of that. It's like, well, now we need to do something that's a big budget with monsters because that people like. I mean, that movie won some Oscars. Yeah. So, yeah. Francis Ford yeah, Coppola. Sure. We can thank him. Yeah. Or we can thank. I can't remember the guy that wrote it because, like, I remember like Winona Ryder like gave Francis Ford Coppola that script. Yeah, Jim Harrison. That's the only thing I looked up, Colin. Do you see this? His his deal with the Wolf well, production. That I mean, he he wrote a Wolf. I think. I was John trying to remember who wrote who wrote, who wrote Dracula. Oh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Nobody wrote it. Bram Stoker. <laughs> Bram Stoker. <laughs> That's why he's credited. Uh, James V. Hart had that had that script floating around for Dracula, and then that led to them making it. And... We can thank him, James E. Hart, who went on to write such classics as Muppet Treasure Island and Contact. A very confusing career, as we discussed wow. on our Dracula episode. August Rush, like, wow, apparently, uh, the, you remember there's that last voyage of the Demeter movie from this year? Yeah. James V. Hart received off-screen additional literary material credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the hell does that he mean? He is Bram Stoker now. He owns... Dracula. So are they? Is, 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 is this credit telling me that like they they made a movie which is supposed to be about Dracula this year on the Demeter, the 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 ship that took Dracula to England? Um, <laughs> they didn't even bother to take stuff from the original book. They're like, we're just gonna take it from James V. Hart's Dracula movie. <laughs> Something maybe he just, made up. Maybe it was just cheaper to credit him than Bram Stoker. Estate. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that very well could be. I mean, it seems hard to get those rights. I mean, Nosferatu couldn't even get them back in the twenties. Just why they called it Nosferatu. Yeah, dude. Um, 
So what did, what did you learn about Jim Harrison other than that he wrote this movie? Um, that he had been working on this with um, with Jack Nicholson for a long time. Hmm. Um, and then he finally, uh, like they had approached, I think, another director first. I don't remember. Uh, but I mean, when, that would make sense. It's kind of weird where they <laughs> landed. When when Mike Nichols finally signs on, Mike Nichols starts changing the script, and Jim Harrison is like, "This, you've ruined the movie. You've turned my wolf into a chihuahua," and he quit the film industry. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I mean, it sounds like he had mostly been like a novelist and a a journalist for a long time before writing screenplays. Like, I think he wrote the novella that um, Legends of the Fall is based on, and then he ended up adapting that. Um, I guess he has a few other screenwriting credits before that, um, which must have been nice for him. Because <laughs> <laughs> not every screenwriter has that luxury of just being like, I quit this shit. Yeah. It's got a great um, Wikipedia photo, too, for anyone who wants to look up Jim Harrison. It is, a dog. It is good. There's, There's a dog, dog in, in the lips. background. <laughs> this guy likes good. canines. Yeah. yeah. Looking up this other guy who I assume did the the rewrite. I'm, I assume this is the guy that turned it into the Chihuahua movie. <laughs> oh, the, the other credit. Wesley Strick. Wesley Strick. Who's got some pretty fun credits here. Uh, uh yeah, he's a lot a lot of very nineties movies. <laughs> solo screenwriter of Cape Fear, um, co screenwriter of Arachnophobia. Uh-huh. Uncredited rewrites on Batman Returns. Uh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. More connections mm-hmm. to that movie. Uh, but he also wrote Doom. Ooh, you know, never seen Doom. <laughs> should we watch? Should we watch Dooms? I don't think we should watch no. Doom. Got such a great ending <laughs> that everybody loves. Wait, does I don't I don't know. Uh, is this is there some infamous ending I don't know about Doom? Yeah, isn't it the thing that like in the last like five minutes or whatever it just switches to like first person? Oh yeah, I knew they like did the that. I knew they did that. I wasn't sure if there's there's something else. Yeah, they they yeah, they, they, they do it. They do the game. They it becomes <laughs> the game. It. That is the, the big thing about the movie. Yeah, hell yeah, we went there. Yeah, IMDb Trivia says um, Nicholson and uh, Harrison had this script for 12 years before the movie got made. 12 years? Maybe it's just like, sometimes there's just like actors where it's like, you just look already kind of like a monster. We should do something. Like, <laughs> he looks kind of wolf-like. Yeah. Like, you know, like when they made uh, that wolf man with Benicio Del Toro, it's like, dude's already super hairy. He's like halfway there. <laughs> it's per- it just makes sense. Or like, or like Willem Dafoe in Shadow of the Vampire. It's like you pretty much already look like Nosferatu without makeup. We might as well just make a Nosferatu <laughs> movie with you in it. Yep, pretty much. I think that's brilliant. If you're a, a, an actor with a very specific look, to be like, I need to like build something around that, mm-hmm. and and succeed in every way, like they did in Wolf. <laughs> yeah. It's it's good he looks that way because uh, Jack Nicholson is allergic to spirit gum. Really? Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. 
they they talk in the IMDb trivia section about one day that Rick Baker, um, who was aware that he was allergic to spirit gum, accidentally used some on him because um, uh, James Spader also you know has has his own makeup and they were using spirit gum on him and then like jack nicholson came in the next day with his like his face all swollen up and he's like ricky boy you used spirit gum didn't you (laughs) (laughs) well let's just hope it doesn't happen again (laughs) man it's crazy how many times rick baker has done like acclaimed werewolf work like i mean american werewolf in london and wolfman both won him oscars It seems like if he could do a little more, I don't know if we, I don't know if he could have won for something like this, but maybe he could have got a nomination. <laughs> yeah. Well, and don't you think he's disappointed that this doesn't have a transformation scene in it? To me, that's the big disappointment. If I have to knock one bit. thing about Wolf, my one and only complaint with Wolf, <laughs> it's that he never quite becomes enough of a wolf. No, he's, he's or enough uh, of a werewolf, anyways. Yeah. I think I want more of like, I mean that's always that's the problem with like most werewolf movies is it's so hard to make a werewolf not look incredibly stupid on screen. Even in an American Werewolf in London, some of like the they have to like shoot around that puppet kind of in clever ways because when you get a, a wider look, it just looks fake. It looks out of place. Even in the best werewolf movie of all time. So I think I just wanted in this more of the classic Wolfman like 1940s Wolfman look. But he really only ever just kind of looks like Wolverine from the X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> he gets glowing eyes. He gets kind of weird teeth. I'm not it's the, I'm not sure if I'm crazy about it. And then he gets the Wolverine haircut and he's and he runs exclusively in slow motion. <laughs> I do love that he's in all of his werewolf scenes, he has transformed into a werewolf, but he's still in like a khakis and a button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, even get ripped. Jumping all over the place, but he's still like ready to go to work the next day if he falls asleep in the park. Um, that's pretty fun. So, are we gonna? Uh, I don't know. Are we gonna go through plot uh, point beats? Like, I don't know how you have this ready to go. Um, I think I'm ready to go through okay. plot beats. I don't know. I went down a weird rabbit hole of just like looking at the origins of like uh, werewolves and fiction. Oh, well, I mean, I if, you, if you went I don't, to I don't, the, I don't, the trouble, no, I'm... I, I don't, I don't need to go into it though, really. But I mean, I guess I, I'll just say I, I was like just curious because, I mean, the the Wolfman, the the Universal Monster movie, isn't like. Based on a classic novel, the way the Dracula and Frankenstein are, or I mean, I guess also like the Invisible Man, which we also <laughs> reviewed. A, oh yeah, um, on the pick. Um, so it, it is kind of like just culling together all sorts of different werewolf mythology, which I mean, I mean, like vampires, sort of is is just something that goes back. Uh, <laughs> centuries you know it goes back to greek mythology and, and yeah. like all sorts of different cultures have their own spin on the werewolf um i invite people to go listen to that american werewolf in london podcast because i did a whole book report on peter stumps the werewolf of bedberg that i think holds up real good yeah it is that is that the guy that was like tried and executed as for like being a werewolf <laughs> Yeah, he did black yeah. magic. Wow. Yeah, 
Because, I mean, that's kind of something I forgot about. <laughs> it's like werewolves are also kind of like witches in that people thought they were real uh, and, like, <laughs> killed people for, for being accused of being werewolves. But really, it seemed like they were just serial killers or, or cannibals. Um, and I guess people are just... Or like people really with rabies. Or people with that rabies. Was another, yeah. Yeah. But it mostly just seems like people in Europe were just really afraid of wolves because <laughs> they were just like a big problem uh, up until like the 20th century. Um, but I mean, I mean, despite pretty much all wolf movies not being based on like a, a classic novel, it seems like there is like the there is a novel that's considered like the Dracula of werewolves um, that came out in 1933 called the werewolf of Paris um, by Guy Endor. But ironically, they did not hire him to write the wolf man <laughs> or werewolf of London, uh, which was actually like the first werewolf movie to come out um as a hollywood production even though he worked at universal studios i think at the time um but he did get like a hammer movie based on this book in like the 60s um called curse of the werewolf um but yeah werewolf of london that actually came out in 1935 that that was the first universal werewolf movie but i guess just didn't make that much of a splash um Apparently, Jack Pierce, who did the makeup on the Wolfman, worked on uh, Werewolf of London, and he had very elaborate ideas for how the werewolf would look. I mean, basically, like it would end up looking in the Wolfman, but the main actor in that movie kind of had the same Jack Nicholson problem, except that he didn't have an allergic reaction. He just didn't want to sit in the makeup chair for that long. So he's like, just give me, you know, sideburns and crazy hair. And bushy eyebrows and the teeth. Um, and that's, I'm sure, a consideration for all werewolf movies is just like, how much do you want to commit to the makeup? Um, but yeah, then there's the 1941 Wolfman, Lon Chaney Jr., kind of the iconic Wolfman movie. Um, and I don't know, I guess that was kind of the first adaptation that made the like being a werewolf into kind of like a tragic dilemma um which is i don't know i don't know if we're as sympathetic to uh <laughs> what's his name randall will oh. randall in wolf i guess we're like feeling for him because he's about to lose his job uh, but yeah, anyways, there's, there's lots of werewolf movies. Uh, <laughs> we talked well, about American Werewolf in London. I forgot that you were picked that. Had you not seen it before? I had, but I'd only seen it one time when I was a kid. Okay. I wanted to see it again. I see. All right. So yeah, we love talking about these monster guys. <laughs> yeah. They're fun. And we're back at it with Wolf. Um... Okay, so yeah. Directed by Mike Nichols. He was just coming off of Regarding Henry. A movie uh, I like. I know people think it you've sucks. You've seen it. Yeah. 
What is it about? So he's an asshole. He's a rich asshole. Mm-hmm. And then I don't remember how, but he gets brain damage, and then he, now he's like nice, and he likes to like paint soup cans or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's just like a, a guy turns into a nice guy. That's all I remember. It's like I think it's like yeah. a J.J. Abrams script or something. But I just remember being sweet, and you know, it kind of had that '90s light comedy feel. I'm sure there's some more heavier shit in there too. I think what I liked about it is just. You don't really see Harrison Ford play innocent ever, so it was kind of nice. It's kind of against type for him, which I liked. I'm sure it's like super schmaltzy and stupid, but I remember liking it. That that's nothing like this movie. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing very schmaltzy. <laughs> Is there anything sure before be this? In Mike Nichols' career, that's that's how heavy did he go into drama? Like, I mean, I guess. We're going way back. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf or something? Foreshadowing? Wolf. Yeah, he didn't just do <laughs> comedies. He did. He had worked with Jack Nicholson on uh, Carnal Knowledge, which is also like a dramatic, I would say, mostly right. movie. I think it's based on a play. I would think it is. There's a lot of talking in it. Um, but nothing <laughs> that like, like required like action scenes. No, no. I mean, well, I, I don't know what Day of the Dolphin is like. But oh, it's not like that. I, I can't believe like we have a successful that. film of his. The thing is, it's I've like... always wanted to see it, but I just feel like it's not as funny as it sounds. It has the greatest. I don't know if you want to call it tagline, but it's on the poster. <laughs> Let's call it tag. It has the greatest tagline yeah. of all time. It used to be my my letterboxed <laughs> bio for a, for a handful of years. Mm-hmm. Um, where's that? He trained a dolphin to kill the president of the United States. I think. Uh, I, is there more to it? I, I have it in that? front of me. It it is actually unwittingly, unwittingly he trained a dolphin to kill the president of the United States. And it's kind of George. It's like a painting of George C. Scott looking. Um, and he's like, "Oh God, what have I done?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds hilarious i mean it is interesting i i am curious to see how does how do these even give a dolphin near the president (laughs) (laughs) was the dolphin at sea world yeah i'm i'm curious there's you know but i just feel like it's gonna be one of those if if it was really funny like this really funny cult classic i feel like you'd be hearing people talk about it so i think it's probably not as funny as it sounds yeah but that being said a future pick I'd rather it just exist in my mind, to be honest. Okay, well, maybe. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, I say that, but we'll see if I ever get around to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it looks like um, Nichols and Jack had done a few movies together. I did guess, a movie yeah. called The Fortune. They did. Let's see. What was the other one? Heartburn. And. Seeing Silkwood, no. Man, I did I not have another movie with yeah. a similar title. I think, but go ahead. I was just saying, I didn't realize his movie after this was The Birdcage. This does not fit in with like anything he ever made, <laughs> no. as far as I know. I, I granted, there's a lot of these movies I don't really know that well. Maybe Day of the Dolphin is the closest, but still, Wolf is just <laughs> like 
Is this just like, yeah, I guess I, I I don't have anything else going on right now. I guess I'll do Wolf. I like me and Jack like working together. Yeah. It just makes so little sense. <laughs> well, and I think you you see that he's like like he's trying to wrench this movie into his sensibility and I'm I'm sure that's yeah. why um uh, uh Jim Harrison is so pissed about it because like it is so much about this man's midlife crisis and like <laughs> like you're saying the action is like in slow motion and it's it's like honestly few and far between and um like there's not that much grotesque imagery that like I was saying before there's not a transformation scene it's it's he's like Mike Nichols is like I know how to do character drama so that's what this movie's going to mostly be mhm i think the midlife <laughs> crisis stuff is well, so yeah are we are 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 we are we getting into this thing into what talking about the movie talking about the movie we're getting plot. into this yeah the plot yeah we're we're getting into this okay. um i'm ready i'm excited okay because <laughs> you know what i like about this movie at least for the beginning i mean mm-hmm. maybe at a certain point this changes i feel like it doesn't waste any time for like at least for me in like yeah you know getting turned into a werewolf realizing he's a werewolf telling people he's a werewolf like yeah it's what i would yeah. do yeah I, was I think old. so. Yeah. The opening scene is Jack Nicholson, Will Randall driving through the snow, hitting a wolf, getting bitten by a wolf. Getting I love bit. it. Yeah. You don't even know really what he's like before he's no <laughs> bitten by. a I'm not even wolf. sure what he's, he's doing. Not... He's on. They say he's on. A, is he on a? He's on a trip. He's making a sale in New England. He's making a sale in New England. Okay. Yeah. In the publishing industry, which is one of my favorite '90s professions, <laughs> yeah, I love that. In all these movies about publishing, publishing is always such a huge industry run by like the wealthiest people. It's just I like mean, it's crazy. I watched yeah. the game earlier this year, and he's like a fucking billionaire, and he works in publishing. <laughs> but what I do like is that, though I I guess we could debate on whether this uh, this works. Like that, Jack Nicholson is a little lower on the totem pole here, but it's it's so hard for me to believe that Jack Nicholson is this emasculated guy in this lower position. He just doesn't carry that air to him. Like, like I can't even tell. Like, is he supposed to be considered nice at the beginning of this movie? <laughs> it's so hard to like take Jack Nicholson as anything but like secretly evil or mean yeah. all the time. I guess I assume he's nice because it seems like the people who work for him really like him. Like David Hyde Pierce is ready to go to the mat for him. The yeah. the writer that comes in at the beginning seems to really like being his client. Um, I just feel like he's he not the guy liked. you get to play. To play a nice, nice. guy who turns like, into a I killer. wonder, I'm going to ask yeah. you guys this. I wonder, would this movie have been... I mean, obviously, I think it's super funny since it's Jack Nicholson. But would it have been a better story had it been a, a more kind of like an actor who could more pull off like timid or meek or just, you know, because then because then it would make it seem like it's a, a movie about a beta turning into an alpha. <laughs> Whereas I never yeah. quite buy that Jack Nicholson is like, you know, this beta guy. I say go the other way. Have him, have him start as a dirtbag. <laughs> And then the and then becoming a wolf makes him a better person. 
<laughs> it no, it makes them worse. Oh, it makes them worse. <laughs> I'm talking like Joker. The ultimate dirtbag, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, then Jack Nicholson's the right person for the part. They just didn't... He didn't go full Jack at the beginning. He's, he's a little mute, more muted than usual. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of who else you could have maybe cast in this role in the early 90s. Uh, it's hard to... I guess it's just hard to pull a name out of the ether, but... I'm just wondering if it would have worked better. It would have been Mel Gibson, John. Would that make you happy? <laughs> mm. See, the thing about that... That's hard to judge now because now we know what Mel Gibson's really like. It's a real-life monster. Yeah. Someone worse than Jack Nicholson. <laughs> like, mm, no. Now that I thought of somebody who's actually nice, I realized that maybe that I, my twist on this doesn't work. I was thinking, like, what if, if, this, is, if this is Tom Hanks... This probably doesn't work. <laughs> Robin yeah. Williams, maybe. Robin, okay. It's so funny that you said Robin Williams because when Colin was talking about um, the history of werewolves, I asked ChatGTP to come up with a werewolf movie starring Robin Williams, <laughs> and I'll share that uh, with you guys after we're done talking about Wolf. Um, but yes, I think if we had like serious Robin Williams, oh, that might be too weird hey. though. He's already too hairy, though. He's already too hairy. He gets less hairy. <laughs> I mean, I've been, I've been. The thing I've been thinking about is what actors are hairy. Well, That's I don't. I think Robin happens. Williams is a good choice. I, I would like to see that movie. It'd be interesting, yeah. I mean, Jack Nicholson's good. I, I, I just the thing is like I was telling you like at the beginning like when they're at like the party. I just, he seems, I don't know if it's just because Jack Nicholson has a permanent scowl affixed to his face at all times. <laughs> it's just so hard to buy him as like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know his social status. It seems like kind of middle class because he like lives in an apartment, which seems, mm-hmm. you know, modest for the time in which this was made. Now that would be like somewhere where a, billion, a millionaire lives. But like, you know, in a 90s movie, it's like, what, this guy doesn't have a fucking house? It was an apartment. I know it's New York or whatever, but it seems like they're trying to present him as a slightly lower status, and I, I I don't know if I buy that part of it. Um, but I still like that it's it's Jack Nicholson. Uh, so yeah, he gets he gets bit, and we see him at his job. I feel like he, he gets goes, bit by yeah. the way by an animatronic wolf. Oh, and there great. is a close up of it, and it is bad. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like something at Disneyland. It doesn't quite look right. It's like... (laughs) Why'd they show the face? You didn't have to show the face of the animatronic wolf. I feel like he goes to his doctor pretty early on, too, which I like. And just tells him what happened. He's just like, you'll be fine. We get our little dose of Ron Rifkin pretty early on. Boiler uh, rooms to Ron Rifkin. He's like, no way it was a wolf. You're dreaming. <laughs> yeah. Totally believable, right? This this movie, uh, I believe it. I believe this would mm-hmm. act. This could. This is how it happened. And so then there's that. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say one thing that took me out of the movie for a little bit is okay. he's just like not for a little bit, but just for a second is like the first scene of him in New York is him just like you know walking the streets of New York and then he walks into his building and it's the Bradbury building, which is like a famous building in LA that's been used in a ton of movies. And I'm just like, okay, 
he's just walked from New York to LA in one cut, but I got used to it. It's, I mean, it's a really cool interior. I can see why they used it. Right on. Despite having to have like <laughs> two, I'm sure, crews in both New York and LA for one movie. Right. I mean, you got to assume it was almost entirely shot in LA, right? And then they got a few exteriors mm, in New York. Maybe. I mean, it looks like they are in Central Park. I could be wrong, but I don't know. Okay. So he he finds out he's being demoted at the party, right? Or he yeah, assumes it's, gonna. It, it, it's up in the air until yeah. the party. Because their they're, they're publishing uh, company is being acquired by just some richer guy. <laughs> Christopher Plummer, because it's just so lucrative to own a publishing company, Mm -hmm. and he wants to replace Jack Nicholson just because he's not—he's too nice. Well, we find out later it's because he's been manipulated by James Spader to believe that James Spader deserves his job. Yeah, he's just the ultimate suck up. I I just—I was trying to remember what Christopher Plummer's reasons early on. If he's just saying like you don't have it, what you don't have it. Yeah, he's just like, you don't have it, so I'll give you this a job in Eastern Europe to like try to expand the, I guess, post-Soviet <laughs> publishing opportunity, um, which is like obviously a demotion from for this guy who's basically running the agency, it sounds like, at the start. Christopher Fulmer, who looks great in this movie. I think he looks better than Jack Nicholson. Looks, yeah. Uh, super handsome. And then I'm so happy that James Spader's in this too, playing a sleaze bag like he always seems to play. I can't actually. I can't even remember a movie where he wasn't a sleaze. I guess Stargate. Uh, isn't that the same year? Yeah, yeah. So good to see James Spader in this. Stuart Swinton. And it's at the same. Yeah, then it's the same party where he meets. Uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, who's the 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 tycoon's daughter, Laura, and that was one of these things where I was like, "Oh no, oh no! How much older is he than her? Is this gonna happen? <laughs> this is a '90s movie. This is gonna happen, isn't it?" Yeah, I did look it up. It's not it's not our biggest age difference in a movie. It's uh, <laughs> it's still held by in the line of fire, Clint Eastwood and oh, uh, my Renee God. Russo. <laughs> That was that was twenty five year difference. This is this is just a twenty one year difference. Oh boy, yeah. He feels older. It's crazy. I, but that's the thing. <laughs> Becoming Wolf makes him a better person. Yeah, or at least a more honest person. And as we learned last week with cat people, uh, turning into an animal just like it horns you up so much. It does horn you up. Yeah. All right, so yeah, hit it off with her. No, no, not quite early on. No, really. mostly just he's just like he's just like I feel weird. Yeah, he's, he's scaring horses. Yeah, <laughs> he's also like I don't want to cheat on my wife. I'm a happily married man. That's true. Yeah, I'm trying to remember I mean, how. Yeah. It? Yeah, I'm trying to remember too. Like when does he, he figures when it does out? He first come into? Well, I think well, he he wakes up and he notices like there's some hair on his hand, like a patch <laughs> of it, and then he just like cuts it off and he's like, no big deal. <laughs> and it was 
I was just gonna say he's so hairy that I couldn't. It took me a minute to realize that wasn't what he normally looked like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he goes into work and he like walks by that one guy who works in his office and he's like, "You shouldn't be drinking tequila with <sighs> your coffee." It. He's got super <laughs> senses. Yeah. And he can hear things. Who knew that becoming a wolf oh, makes you yeah. good at business? <laughs> I don't think it made him good at business. I think it, it gave him the confidence to stand up for himself. Well, that's your read on it. My read is that it makes him good at business. <laughs> made him good at business. <laughs> Wolves are good at business. Mm-hmm. Also, it, it reignites his relationship with his wife. I feel like there's like a great... Because there's that scene where they're having dinner. There's like a great... Uh, I can't remember the exact line, but they're like, keep talking about the stew that they're eating. There must have been something in that stew. <laughs> and then she's like, leaves a letter for him like the next time. It's like, there's some more of that stew. <laughs> I'm just like, stop talking about stew. It's not sexy. Um, I'm also just remembering like the reason he thinks he's feeling so good uh, is not the wolf bite. He thinks he's feeling really good because he slept for 18 hours. <laughs> he's like, oh, that, that was shit. the secret. I love yeah. that so much. Isn't that the fucking dream? What's? Have you ever slept through a whole day? When I was not sick? Yeah. I don't think so. But, I mean, okay, not, okay. I'm trying to think of, I think the longest I've ever slept was at our high school graduation party. Because we all, like, you know, it was, like, all night and got home at, like, you know, 6 a.m. or whatever. And I feel like I slept until night or close to it. So you, like, you, so you slept the whole, like, day. Pretty much. Day. Pretty much. And that, I mean. That's pretty good. The thing is, like, you want it to be, a, a, like, a, like I feel more relaxed than ever. Like, right. I feel, like, but you always just feel like, what the fuck? What day is it? <laughs> yeah. So... I can't say that I've had that. I mean, you maybe you haven't slept the whole day, Sean, but I'm sure you've slept a long time. Did you feel super energized? No, you never feel. You, you, you just like, feel guilty. The supercharged fallacy is something I've talked to Colin about before. You want to believe. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I think getting more sleep just makes me more sleepy because I'm like, now I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm fucked up because like, I'm so used to sleeping. I don't know any other way of life now. <laughs> It's like I have to relearn being awake. <laughs> uh, but no, he, he got great sleep. He ate great stew. I yeah, I don't remember. I mean, he must he must learn that it's always oh, because the wolf because he, he must be aware when he turns into a werewolf. I mean, there's the classic scene where he chases the deer. Uh, I have I have no recollection of when that happens in the film now. Uh, it also didn't help that I took an edible while I watched this, which probably is one of the reasons Ooh, I loved yeah. it so much. <laughs> you know one of my favorite? You ever like take sense. an edible and you make up like your own personal joke for a movie that's that has nothing to do with the movie, but it's something you made up, and but then it makes the movie ten times funnier because of this thing you keep talking about. Like, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate. Basically, it's interesting watching a movie about publishing from the '90s because like you realize that like books uh just like even the spines of books were more artistic and colorful than they are today whereas the book design is kind of more streamlined and kind of 
not as aesthetically bold, I don't think. So anytime that they're in an office with a bunch of books, I was I I, I was watching this auto. I was like, it looks like there's a bunch of manga behind them. <laughs> so then we thought of the movie. The movie uh, suddenly became super super funny because every time they're in the offices, it just looked like they're they, they're a manga publishing company, and I thought that was so fucking funny. Um, which made the movie uh, one of the best comedies I've seen in a while. <laughs> it's just weird. It's okay. weird seeing a movie about books and seeing what the industry was like, I, I guess, and making up my own jokes about it. Just wanted to throw that mm-hmm. out there. I don't know. I feel like I did get that much insight yeah. into the publishing yeah. industry. I feel like the publishing I, is barely in the movie. Yeah, I feel like it could have been Eddie. He's talking with like that author business. lady early on, be like, she when you're going to write another yeah. <laughs> But for the most part, I'm just like, these could be any businessmen working yeah. in any industry. <laughs> uh, which is fine. I mean, it's not like the him being a werewolf is intrinsic to him <laughs> working in the publishing industry, really. Um, yeah, I guess it would have been better if there is a scene where, like, he's like, hey, I like this book about wolves that you're writing or something. Yeah, I don't that, know. that could have been a thing. Like, it, he has better taste <laughs> in literature. He's, like, giving a writer, yeah, writer ideas for their werewolf book. You know, like, this is what happened to me. I guess you're uh, right. But that's, that's a different movie, I suppose. Um, the opposite happens. He uh, he uh, finds the author of of one of the wolf books that they publish and goes to talk to him. It's true. Oh right, he like I'm... gives him like a amulet or something. Yeah, that he just wears around his neck. That later burns. Oh, remember how fucked up it is too? Doesn't he like be like, can you turn me into one? Yeah, he's like, I'm, yeah. I'm dying, and I would like a bite, please. Why so doesn't he? It makes his life and, great. And he feels weird about it. Yeah, he won't it's do it. It's a weird question. I would have done it. <laughs> I think it's the order of scenes that matter here, um, because we have seen earlier uh, that uh, Jack Nicholson caught James Spader um, cheating with with Jack Nicholson's wife, and he bit mm-hmm. James Spader then. So he was oh, already willing yes, to yes, bite yes. people. God, that was so fucked up. <laughs> I hate James Spader so much. You know he'd really do that in real life, too. God, piece of shit. Yeah, so Jack Nicholson, yeah, he's in the right. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um... Man, I feel like we're speed running through this. I, it's, it's so funny that this movie's like two hours because I feel like not that much happens. But I know, I know the plot seems very straightforward, and it's it is a strange thing where it feels like it definitely could be shorter yeah, or more concise. Be. But it it does feel like a very Mike Nichols thing that he like kind of lets the scenes breathe a bit. Um, I, I guess just because he, you know, he likes working with actors and, you know, comes from theater and <laughs> I don't know, just likes to let things kind of un, uh, unravel or or let a scene kind of take its time. But 
doesn't really work for a horror movie as well, even though at the same time it's, it's kind of interesting <laughs> that it's also like a like a mix of a '90s sort of prestige character drama and <laughs> monster horror movie. It doesn't yeah, work entirely, but it's 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 interesting. I think for me the problem is he's a little too aware that Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer are stars because he he like really luxuriates mm-hmm. in the scenes when they're together. Um, even when yeah. there are uh, like a, a, several of those scenes where really nothing happens, it's they're just yep. like relationship building scenes. Um, and I think he's just like, well, these two are so great. We gotta we can't we can't leave this on the cutting room floor. Um, yeah. You probably you probably could have. You could have. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it just needs to be a little more concise when it comes to the plot, um, since there isn't that much there. Wait, it, like yeah, this like the exact same amount of wolf content as we have, but just like a little bit less relationship, a little. I'm not even going to say a little bit less office politics because it's not that much. It's yeah, really just the relationship okay. kind of overwhelms the movie. Yeah. Especially since the ending feels rushed by comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer makes a lot of choices really fast um, <laughs> that I would have, I would have been okay with them spending more time on that part of it. I'm struggling yeah. to remember what he does to win her over romantically. <laughs> what is he? I don't remember. Um, so the first time he transforms is after he spends a night at her place. But they don't hook up. He's just, like, he gets sick and he spends the night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he kills the deer. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, and that's when he's like, this is actually a problem. And that's when he goes and gets the amulet. Yeah. Then he finds his wife cheating, right? And that's when he turns into a werewolf again after that. And that's the time where he, like, goes to the zoo. <laughs> and David Schwimmer's there. <laughs> okay, another thing: when you're high, that you did you forget that David Schwimmer's in this movie, and suddenly David Schwimmer's in this movie. <laughs> it's like the funniest yeah. thing I've ever seen. I, and I love these. Like, oh man, he took my hand. Oh man, <laughs> what am I gonna tell Rachel? <laughs> Isn't this the uh, this is the year Friends debuted? I think. Yeah, <laughs> which is why I guess he has such a small part in this movie. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, guy gets uh, he bites some guy's fingers off. <laughs> yeah, which he doesn't figure out till later. Now, wait a minute, I've got to think. David Hyde Pierce is in this. That's right. Frazier mm-hmm. would have started. Oh, sure. Now, right, Frazier, Frazier, ninety three. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's why he's got a little bit bigger part than David Schwimmer, <laughs> I guess. He's a bigger NBC star at that time. Also, he'd yeah. been in Sleepless in Seattle the year before. Man, he's oh, right. he's got a line in the trailer. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so he's transformed into a werewolf twice, uh, including a killing an animal and attacking a person. Um. Then what does he do that leads to him? Is that when he starts the like, uh, the like takeover at work? I think so. And then Christopher Plummer's 
I don't remember how Christopher Plummer comes to the conclusion that he wants to keep Will on on board. Because it's like this guy's fucking guess, alpha. This guy alpha his way. I, I guess it's, it's because yeah, he makes kind of like an ultimatum, and he respects He's like, yeah, it. Yeah, I'm gonna take all of your best authors. And, He's got the connections. Uh, yeah. Start my own. Yeah. yeah, he's gonna Michael Scott Paper Company this bitch. Basically, mm-hmm. pretty much. Also, yeah, Stewart is definitely like, I'll quit, whatever, dude. I'm sorry. So like, he's got him in the fucking palm of his hands. Oh yeah. Even this is the of course the classics. I mean, one of the few things I knew about this movie uh, going into this movie, I knew about Jack Nicholson running in slow motion, and I knew about the bathroom scene. Where he does the most alpha shit ever <laughs> and marks his territory by pissing all over James Spader. <laughs> Probably the best scene in the movie, right? Do you guys ever talk to other men at the urinal? No. Like, mm, I, no. I never walked into no. a bathroom with someone else and like kept a conversation going. <laughs> and we both peed and like, kept the conversation going. And we both finish peeing and we go wash our hands and I kept the conversation going it's always every single time it's like I'm gonna take a break socially and go do bathroom stuff and then come back for me but going but to the ha- bathroom is such an embarrassing thing that humans have to do it that sucks so bad. that it should be as private as possible absolutely you know it's not like whenever I go to the bathroom like man I wish I had somebody to talk to right now no absolutely <laughs> not or I wouldn't even I'd be too embarrassed to be on the phone if, while going to the bathroom, because I'd be like, oh my god, I can't believe you're hearing my body do this disgusting yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, bathroom should be a private, they should be a safe space. Which is why I always feel bad about laughing at that guy that farted too loud in the bathroom at the movie theater. <laughs> Colin was there. <laughs> I was going to say, that's my only memory of uh, an interaction with John in the bathroom, if you could call it that. Because we were not talking. I wish, I wish I could remember what movie that was at. It was definitely at the Uptown Theater. But yeah, they're, yeah, we're just going to the bathroom, probably in the urinals, and there's some guy like in a stall, let out one of the loudest farts I've heard. And I'm just like, <laughs> and then I was like, I gotta get out of here as fast as I can, man. I gotta get at least get out of here before the guy in the stall can see who laughed at him. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I do feel bad. Yeah, because if you can't fart in the bathroom, no, it's like I said, it should be a safe space. But it was just, yeah. it was such a musical fart, you know. It was some. It was like a nutty professor esque <laughs> expulsion of gas. How could mm. I not? <laughs> I get it, man. Just thinking it. about it. <laughs> uh, but pissing on someone—that's I don't know. Yeah, so he pees on James Spader's shoes. Uh, we we do get. Uh, I wrote in my in my letterbox review too. It's like a it's a POV shot. It's very quick, but yeah. yeah, you see like the the pee coming. You know, out from his, his point of view, yeah, it's from like, his pss- perspective. Yeah, great camera work. Do you think this anyone's like, yeah, I ran piss cam on Wolf? <laughs> yeah, we did like fifty takes of that to get the piss just right. Because at first they're having trouble getting the right consistency, and then they're having trouble aiming it. Rick Baker built some animatronics. We didn't really show most of it. It didn't work so great. In the end, Nicholson just peed for real. Yeah, he just peed for real. Actually, that's funny. At the end of the day, just doing it for real is the best way to do it. Like, you don't need to build a rig and with, like, hydraulics and stuff. Just do it for real. 
highlight of my career. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. It was my it was my main takeaway from this movie. Is that piss scene was really good. Um but yeah, that's where he tells uh that's where he tells him that um now that um that Christopher Plummer's given him his job back, he's going to uh fire James Spader uh as part of his takeover because he presents him for uh sleeping with his wife. Uh which is a little bit petty, but also, you know, fair enough. um and then after that um he goes to the hotel he's been staying at and uh and the wife shows up again and i'm sorry that i didn't learn the name of this character or the actress portraying her but she's such a small part of the movie it just uh wasn't something i made a priority because uh, this, I think, is the last we see of her. She just says, like, please take me back. And he's like, nah, not gonna happen. <laughs> and uh, Charlotte. And, I just looked it up. And Mich- Michelle Pfeiffer's watching in the background. And so I think that's when Michelle Pfeiffer decides to uh, to be with him. Because she sees that he really did leave his wife, I guess. Also, maybe he's more handsome now. Maybe I guess yeah. I was trying to. I was trying to. I was literally look like like. Did they change his hairline? I was trying to think if they like made him glammed him up. I, not really. I guess didn't really seem like. It. Yeah. They should have. Um, he should have had like a sweet like oh like a really nice beard. Well, <laughs> like he grew but like again, a nice beard. They'd have to. They'd have to make Jack Nicholson grow that beard because. They can't glue one onto his face. It's true. <laughs> yeah. He's grown. A, he had a beard and going south. It didn't look good, but. Oh, and anger management, of course. I had a beard. Anger. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Looked um, fine. So at this point, his plan is to handcuff himself to the radiator because he knows he's been hurting people. Mm-hmm. Um. But for some reason, Michelle Pfeiffer's like, what if we just bang instead, and that'll take care of your problems? <laughs> that was that was pretty sexy. I like that. <laughs> so good. Because handcuffs are something that's a, that's a sexy thing that you, people have, that you use in the bedroom. So Especially handcuffs that you stole from David Schwimmer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like role-playing. I get it. I, like, I approve. Good scene. Um, so then the, uh, the next scene is, is him waking up in the morning in bed with her. And, uh, the question is, did he transform or not? Right. Yeah. And, uh, and we start to suspect he did because that's when, uh, Richard Jenkins shows up. Right. Uh, yeah, that's weird seeing Richard Jenkins as, like, an authority figure. I feel like I usually see him as, I don't know, someone who gets pushed around. You know, I just watched, uh, Witches of Eastwick. I know you did too, Colin. Rich Jenkins also mm-hmm. in that. Michelle Pfeiffer also in that. And I feel like <laughs> that's more. also in that. Yeah. I feel like that's more the Richard Jenkins kind of role I'm used to, not him as a cop. Usually he's more of like a meek guy. He should have been. I mean, he's not a big star, but like <laughs> he could have been Wolf. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Someone like a rich, a real Richard Jenkins type would have really shine in this role. Mm-hmm. Well, I do like that he's like kind of portrayed as like not a particularly great detective. Yeah. Uh, we know for sure that he drinks on the job. It's true. Uh, and he kind of just goes with the most obvious lead he gets. Um, there's even that part when uh, when he gets uh, James Spader's testimony and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer sneaks away and he's like, ah, I don't need her testimony. One's enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so he tells them that his wife's dead. Yeah, wife dead. <laughs> uh, which is which is which is smart because, I mean, I. I, I was even I was paying close enough attention to be like, oh wait, I remember James Spader got bit way early on, so he definitely did this. So it's, I think most people can probably guess what what's going on. Of course, the movie's trying to make you think, since he doesn't know what's going on, did he do it? But I don't think right. But at the same time, it's funny at the beginning of this movie, I was like, this better not be a werewolf face-off movie like the the crappy Wolfman remake. <laughs> Benicio del Toro werewolf has to fight Anthony Hopkins werewolf and yet by the end of the movie I was like you know maybe I like that it had double werewolf and werewolf fight I feel like it kind of works because they like build up the rivalry so much yeah like <laughs> you really get the idea that these guys hate each other so by the time that they're werewolves it's like yeah they're gonna have a werewolf fight <laughs> they gotta it is pretty funny to see James Spader uh, in, like, wolf mode, too. Yeah, he gets, like, even creepier. They both just have, like, they, I mean, they both look like Wolverine. They will have, like, r- ridiculous sideburns. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the uh, the eyes, right? They've got they the, got like, glowing eyes. Glowing yeah. eyes. Mm-hmm. And the sharp teeth. There's that, he fucking, like, claws his face, too. It gets fucking gnarly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they also uh, one of the people that um, Wolf uh, James Spader kills is uh, played by Peter Garrity who I wanted to call out just because when we were talking about cat people I talked about how Frankie Faison was in it and he was from The Wire uh, Peter Garrity also played Judge Phelan on The Wire so another uh, pretty niche <laughs> wire actor popped up two movies in a row for us i can't wait to find out what one shows up next yeah that's pretty exciting um but yeah the things really escalate once we realize that james spader is also a wolf oh hell yeah dude werewolf fights it's great two security guards get killed it's great the police are coming Uh yeah, I'm trying to remember. If there's like a part where like he's in like a he's like crawl up bars or something, or does he does he crawl yeah. up the bars or does he bend yeah. through? Yeah, I just remember Michelle being, Pfeiffer yeah. is pretty sure that um that uh, Jack Nicholson killed his wife, so she takes him to the barn and locks him up in like a, a I guess horse cage that they have in the barn. <laughs> Uh, but then when James Spader is there to attack her, uh, Jack Nicholson has to get out to save her. And so he's like trying to like break the bars and he, he ends up jumping over them eventually because that's what Teen Wolf would do. He's got super jumping powers, yeah. Yeah. 
And I'm sure he jumps in slow motion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't. We're almost there. I have a question about the ending. I don't know if mm-hmm. we're there yet, but I do. Are we there yet? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're there. So, did you? Does Jack Nicholson turn it, when he turns full wolf? Does that mean he's full wolf forever? What did you think they imply <laughs> that, or do they just imply? I, I'm confused by the ending of this movie, actually. Because we find out that Michelle Pfeiffer is going to become Wolf. She's got the eyes, and she smells right. like vodka on somebody. But then, like, there's that scene of, like, like going through the woods. He's, like, he's full wolf now. But I'm, like, f- yeah, but, like, forever? Because or... we don't really get any lore, which I guess I, for most of the movie, I considered a strength. Because you don't need, we know, we know what werewolves are like. But it's, like, we also know that werewolves turn back into people. But, like, I don't know if this movie's playing by those rules. That. Yeah. I do think we do get a fair amount of lore. I don't think it's it's fair to say we get no we, lore. Uh, yeah, it's you're all, right. Just, it all comes from guy. that. You're right. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> amulet guy who who is like, actually, it's pretty great to be a wolf. And I wish I was a wolf. And <laughs> Could you uh, play me, please? Yeah. Yeah, it seems um, like the movie implies that he's just a full wolf now permanently. Yeah. Because they don't really play by the the full moon. Uh, no, stick. it's just happening every night. Yeah, which in that case, I guess and, I don't want to be a wolf. And it and it was, I guess, implied that the amulet was sort of keeping it at at like a half transformation. And he did and rip it off he, for a werewolf fight. Yeah, which good move. Oh, dude, remember? I I totally forgot about when he kills Stuart. Like Stuart, like jumps in the air with hedge clippers. <laughs> Or your garden pliers or whatever. But then, like, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer shoots him. That was fucking sweet. He, like, leaps through the air. That's cool. If I ever meet James Spader, I'm definitely going to ask him about this movie. (laughs) Because I bet not a lot of people got some good stories. Yeah. Uh, Because he got to do some fun werewolf stuff. You know what I didn't talk about this, uh, I forgot to mention, because uh, I wasn't really sure how to fit it in, was this Ennio Morricone score. I gotta say, I think it's bad. <laughs> I think it's funny, because it's like, most of it, it's like, it's, it sounds like a synth harpsichord, going like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I thought it was bad. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, guys. Like, I, you know, I watched another 90s uh, American Ennio Morricone score, scored film this year, Disclosure. And that was, I just feel like Ennio didn't translate to the 90s very well with, like, synths. Maybe not. I mean, he was, you know, he's doing mostly American movies, like more mainstream American movies, I guess. And, yeah, I mean, I could see that. <laughs> that maybe he was a little lost in the 90s. I mean, the, I, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I said that he wasn't good with synths. And I remember, oh, he did the thing, though. But, I mean, he was emulating John mm. Carpenter. I just feel like he didn't know what his identity was with these movies. I, I think it was just like he was wrong for this project. He was wrong for disclosure too. You know, you got yeah. he's he he provides a certain style of music to a certain kind of movie. Probably not Wolf. <laughs> so I, I I I'm sorry to say I was not as much as I love Ennio Morricone. I was not crazy about diddling around on this keyboard on this one <laughs> for two hours. 
Yeah. Two hours. I can't get over that runtime. You could have cut 20 minutes from this easy. Yeah. Yeah, dude. For sure. Also, I don't know how you guys watch it. I watch it on Pluto, so I watch it with commercials, so it was probably like 140. Oh, fuck, dude. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it felt, it felt very long. It's just oh, like, it's like, just it's it. like when you watch a movie on TV and it's like, I guess this is my whole day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you rent it, Sean? You don't want to sit through commercials? No, I don't. You're a smart man. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm budget friendly. See, if I'd been, been bitten by a wolf, I definitely would have been like, fuck it, I'm renting it. I'm buying it. <laughs> would have given me the confidence to just own wolf. Mm-hmm. You think there's a good Blu-ray of Wolf that has like good special features? No, no. I don't. You don't, don't think so? Let me. I'm gonna look up the Wolf Blu-ray and see if it at least has. No, it always just has the same poster image. Um, wow, fifty-six dollars on Amazon. So it, I'm guessing it's probably out of print. Yeah. Scream Factory's you know got to get on this man. You know what this movie cut her by to be what? Kind of reminded me of the Santa Claus. It <laughs> 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 just reminded me that, like, that movie could have been a horror movie if they just, like, twisted the tone a little bit. Because <laughs> it is kind of disturbing what happens to that man. Just like, yeah, just like this could have been a comedy like my Robin Williams movie that I'm going to tell you guys about in a little bit. Yeah. Um,. I don't know if we want to go into Sean's goofs already, or or should I do my my little my Robin Williams uh, Chat GBT generated plot synopsis? I'll just do mine. Quick. All right, you do yours, and then I'll do the mine. Uh, first two bits of trivia: This movie took so long to make. Michelle Pfeiffer adopted a girl, became engaged, and got married uh, all during production. Uh, also. <laughs> Uh, the voice of the wake up call operator was Elaine May, so she was in there. Oh, wow, uh, she she did uh, do an uncredited rewrite, I think, on it. Um, they're buds. Okay, so here we go from the goose section. When Will, as a wolf, kills the deer. He does so by jumping on it from above. But wolves are not ambush predators. This is how cats such as a cougar would kill. Rather, wolves are endurance hunters. They will chase down their prey, wear them down, then get close enough to slash their sides and groin in order to weaken their prey. As the prey do weaken, the pack will then surround their prey and eviscerate them. When the animal finally drops, they will then finish them by ripping out their throat. This is how wolves hunt. Pursuit, not ambush. That's one. Here's the second one. When Will, as a wolf, kills the deer, he does so by breaking its neck. But wolves chase down and eviscerate their prey. When they drop from weariness and loss of blood, they will rip out their throat, finishing off their prey. They do not, however, break their prey's neck. That is how cats kill, by biting the back of their prey's neck and crushing their vertebrae. So a lot of people in the INDB goose section uh, upset that uh, Wolf Nicholson is a bit too much of a cat and not enough of a wolf when he hunts. <laughs> if this movie was called Cat and he got bitten by a cat, it would be. <laughs> Everyone would have seen this movie. Jack Nicholson is more of a cat, you know, when you ask, like, oh, are you a dog or a cat? I Jack Nicholson feels like a cat to me. Yes. That's funny, though. But you know who's a dog is Robin Williams, you guys. So I asked ChatGPT. 
Here's what I hear. I'm going to, I don't actually know if it's going to be that funny. Cause as I've learned chat GTP, especially when you give it like come up with a movie idea, it's usually not that interesting. And also it usually, it just keeps telling you about how good it's going to be. <laughs> but here's the prompt that I gave it. I said, can you come up with a plot synopsis for a nineties werewolf comedy movie starring Robin Williams? Come up with some Robin Williams style jokes. Uh, he could say related to werewolves. Um, okay, so here's the title. It's fucking awful. Maybe we can come up with a better title. Uh, Hair-Raising Howls, colon, A Hairy Tale of Comedy. It's not a... That's right. so... I see I see where it's going with it. <laughs> it's bad. All right, here's the plot synopsis. In the early 90s... I don't know why. Okay. Hair-Raising Howls introduces us to Joe Silver, played by Robin Williams. A down-on-his-luck, zany, and struggling stand-up comedian who's looking for a fresh start. His career has hit rock bottom, and he's on the verge of becoming a punchline himself. Little does he know, a wild adventure awaits when a mysterious encounter changes his life forever. One fateful night, while performing at a dive bar, Joe crosses paths with the peculiar old man Professor Lupin, portrayed by a distinguished character actor. I asked, who's the distinguished character actor? And they said, John Cleese. The enigmatic professor reveals an astonishing family secret. Joe is the last ascendant of a long line of werewolves, and he's about to experience the most hair-raising transformation of his life. So this is literally the plot of Teen Wolf in the sense that it's something that's uh, related to his bloodline. But why it's hitting him now, I'm not sure. Uh, from the moment Joe's first full moon transformation hits, hilarity ensues. The film captures Rob Williams' manic energy as he grapples with his newfound powers, clumsily navigating the world of werewolves. Some Robin Williams-style jokes related to werewolves include, I hear some of them, Oh, I used to think I had bad hair days, but now I've got hair-raising nights, too. Boo! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my hairline wasn't receding. It was just running away from the full moon. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's good. It's kind of good, yeah. Oh, the good news is I can finally attend those hairy chess of the year competitions. The bad news, I won. <laughs> Uh, that one doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> I got two more. I guess it's bad that he's hairy. I, I tried to, but he said he wanted to attend them. I tried to join a support group for werewolves, but we couldn't agree on when our meetings should be. Some prefer daytime, others, well, moonshine. Which, uh... That doesn't make sense again. <laughs> We're back to not making sense. All right, hopefully they'll win you um, uh, over on this last joke. I'm thinking about opening a salon for werewolves. We'd specialize in ferocious makeovers. No, that no. doesn't work either. Because <laughs> the thing is, anything could be ferocious. And yeah. we're already talking about hair, so you needed a better pun. Uh, there's a few more things about ChatGPT talking about how how great this is. But <laughs> I don't think... Did you, yeah. did you say that they had named his character Joel Silver, like the famous producer? As, uh, I, that's why I read it as first, but it's actually Joe Silver. Joe <laughs> which i feel like if you made that in the 90s you'd be like oh that's a knock against uh joel silver but i i, I the stand-up comp i don't, don't see what the stand-up comp comedian has to do with the werewolf it, uh, like it's just they just think oh rob williams funny comedian is his job <laughs> i was trying to think of a, what i think a joke would be and i feel like you got to have like a shot of like a butt and he's like oh talk about a full moon that's my joke there you go yeah uh, I think you could do some reworking. Also, that title, um, Hair Raising Howls. Yeah, that's that's a tagline. That's not a 
title. Or, or, or the, you know, the Cole and a Harry Tale of Comedy. I think that's also a good tag. A Harry Tale of Comedy. Yeah, we've got two taglines and no title. <laughs> we've got no title. <laughs> Here. Um, I, I don't want to push this much further, but I, I, I need some... Give me five more titles. No colons, please. <laughs> Hope... Uh, okay, so we got how how you doing, Joe? Okay, that's an interesting title. <laughs> Furry and Furious. <laughs> no. Moonstruck comedian. These aren't well, even. These are like descriptions of what it is. Lunatic laughter, and silver screams. Oh man, that Chat GPT. I can't even fucking say it. Chat GPT is bad with titles. I've noticed. Really bad with titles. It's too much creativity. <laughs> it's too, yeah, it's too creative. <laughs> what, there's got to be like full moon. That sucks, but that's better. I don't know. Uh, it's bad. It's all bad. ChatGPT is bad. We should probably. I should probably stop using it. I, I, I do feel like it's getting worse anyway, so I haven't been using it as much. <laughs> but one thing that I can trust, um, I know we got to wrap this up soon, but one thing I can trust is Villains Wiki, guys. Um, oh, wow. And uh, it's time for John's Rogues Gallery. God, I love being a bad guy. Guys, we got Stuart Swinton. He is an evildoer. (laughs) Alias Mr. Swinton. Origin Wolf. Occupation co-editor of The Publishing House. Um, It had to have had a name, but I don't know what it is because it doesn't say here. Power Mm. slash skills. High intelligence. Superhuman strength. Durability. Speed. Agility. And reflexes. Shape-shifting. Superhuman senses. Fighting and killing skills. And evasion. <laughs> I like killing skills. I'm killing just skills. really good at killing. Hobby? Killing people. And editing. <laughs> we don't see much of the latter, but it's assumed. I don't, th- I don't remember seeing any of it. We see Jack Nicholson doing it very fast. Yeah. He's like, wow, you're going through way more than you usually do. Don't even have your glasses on. Uh, goals. Rape Laura Alden. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> okay. I don't actually remember that. That's what, yeah, he chases her into the barn. Okay. And and he's, one of the guys he kills, he's like, wouldn't she be a great fuck? Because he can tell <laughs> he he's is. a real bad man. Uh, kill Will and get his job back in order to be the manager of the publishing house and be popular and <laughs> successful like Will. <laughs> what a great sentence. I'm going to have to read that one more time. Kill Will and get his job back in order to be the manager of the publishing house and be popular and successful like Will. I love that. And be popular. <laughs> Crimes. Murder. Adultery. <laughs> Stalking, yeah. assault, attempted rape, and attempted incrimination. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Do you guys want to guess the uh, type of villain? Two words. Lying lycanthrope. Really good. Colin, you want to give a stab at it? Um, uh, 
I don't know. Ruthless businessman. Ruthless businessman. <laughs> That's all he is. It's such a weird specific <laughs> villain. <laughs> like, what are the words to describe this guy? It's he's such a oddity. Well, Sean, you got a half right. He's a murderous lycanthrope. See, you forgot okay. that he has killing skills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just not what, because he's. We only know he does killings at the very end of the movies. That's not what I think. Of uh, yeah, he didn't do that many. I think Ooh. lying lycanthrope is is good. It sounds better. He's just a bad friend. I'm trying to think if there's a play on lycanthrope that we could uh, make our, our Robin Williams like. I mean, we need <laughs> we need a better title for it. <laughs> yeah, lycan. Don't drop the lycanthrope. I guess that'll have to do. That's what it's called now, at least for now. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's tough picking a title, but what isn't tough is Sean making his, little, his big pick. Oh, it could be tough. Um, what are you going to go with, Sean? Well, uh, since you guys said I could pick whatever, because mm-hmm. we'll probably be doing this in November, and we don't have a November theme. Uh, I'm going to try to stick with my themes, which are movies I think I will give three stars to. (laughs) Just going to keep going with that, huh? And movies that are from 1983, 93, 2003, any sort of 10-year anniversary. Sure, I like it. And so the movie that has brought me to, and this is risky because I think I might like it more than three stars. There's a chance I might actually be a big fan of this movie. The movie it brought me to is 1993's Alan J. Pakula film, The Pelican Brief. <laughs> starring Julia Roberts and Denzel Washington. Pelican. I remember there's that sketch where uh, Jordan Peele is that, uh, Ray Parker Jr. I, I believe there's a Pelican Brief song that he does. <laughs> um, but it, I don't really know. What's the what's the hook with this one? I, I get all those what's confused. The hook? What's the hook? Your dear friend John Hurd makes another appearance <laughs> on Pan Thursday oh or on uh, the pick. Of course, does he that is. put him in the three timers club? Is that just two? I don't know. Is, that just, is there another one? Is there an? No, there is in the line of fire. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah. Congratulations. Well deserved. Welcome. We talked a lot of shit about you last episode, but. All right, so it's a law oh, student God. uncovers a conspiracy, putting herself and others in dangers. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel I like this was definitely this was definitely kind of like a genre that I didn't really, I've never really dove into. Is the like Denzel Washington legal? I guess yeah, political legal thriller. Just, there's a lot of legal films in general in the 90s, you know, not just thrillers, just like, yeah. like you know, like the the firm or the client or all these just, people are really interested in, like, the law all of a sudden. I can't, I can't believe we haven't mentioned his name yet. John Grisham. This is like the era, this is like the era of John Grisham, and it's obviously, of course, based on one of his books. Yeah. Era yep. of John Grisham. So that's why it was so popular, because that's really when he hit hard. Um. Okay. I don't. Yeah. I don't think I've ever. Uh, you guys ever seen a Grisham? 
I'm not sure if I have. Did he do a time to kill? Is that him? Yeah, a time to kill. Uh, the client is also a John Grisham. Uh, the, the firm is is one. So, so why did why did the Pelican Reef over the firm? Um, I feel like I know more about Sidney Pollock. I'm pretty sure I would really enjoy the firm and the Pelican Reef. I don't like Alan J. Pakula. I just know um, all the presidents men. I haven't I haven't seen like the Parallax View or something. Okay, Choice so it's it's the it's the Bakula angle. Yeah, God, why are these? I'm looking at all these. Uh, Grisham adaptations, they're all well over two hours. <laughs> At least a couple of them are. The the firm and Pelican Brief are. The firm is 154 minutes. Well, so there's another reason Pelican Brief is shorter than the firm. I like that. Not that much, though. It's still 141 <laughs> minutes. I'm hoping it's the kind of movie, though, where you're just going to, like, kind of sink into it. Like, yeah, okay. Where, where, what is, are they going to figure this out? <laughs> I'm going to figure this out. I hope so. It's better than being like, eh, I don't really care if they figure it out. <laughs> They're on their own. What's, what's, what's a legal thriller where they don't figure it out? What am I talking about? <laughs> or they lose. Is there, a, is there a courtroom movie where someone's like, oh, fuck, we fucked up and we lost? Probably, but it's just hard. I'm sure there is. Wow. I mean, I'm, yeah. I would guess that's what Ant Justice for All is like. This is a, since you know, that's okay. the like the whole system is out of sure. order movie. I'm just looking at this cast. It's got a, it's a very interesting and Robert Culp, who I know from all his various Outer Limits appearances, is the president. So I'm pretty excited oh, for hell that. Yeah, dude. Stanley Tucci, Hume Cronin, John Lithgow, and he's like 15 names down or something. <laughs> Keep going, you'll find yourself a Cynthia Nixon. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Anthony Held, who I just saw, I just rewatched Science of the Lambs, so that's fun. Oh yeah, that guy from the X Men, and William Atherton, the bad guy from Ghostbusters, and also isn't he like the guy from Die Hard who tries to make a deal with the bad guys? <laughs> the beard guy. That guy is great. I love that guy. Oh man, that's awesome. A lot of not, and you got uh, Tony Goldwyn. Uh, Tarzan himself, also the bad guy from Ghost. Some real '90s actors in this movie. Like I feel like everything I've mentioned, I, I, aside from Ghostbusters, is like you know all these '90s classics. Yeah, this will be fun. This will be fun. All right. Well, that's something to look forward to in November, probably. Yeah. But until then, you can head over to mildlypleased.com where you can check out all our past podcasts, um, as well as wherever else you get your podcasts from. Um, also at Mildly Please, you can read our Shocktober reviews, which will be going on for about another week or so depending on when you <laughs> hear this, but, uh, you know, roughly till the end of October. And, uh, yeah, the theme this year is, like, you know, the the devil and possession and exorcisms and all, all that fun stuff. Uh, in honor of a movie that none of us might ever see. Yeah, I guess in honor of that. There were some other good... Remember, I, there are some other good possession movies, like uh, I'm Gonna Do Talk To Me and... Uh, Maybe Pope's okay. Exorcist will be good, Sean. Uh, yes, of course. The Pope's Exorcist. <laughs> starring, starring Count Dracula. 
Yeah. <laughs> Not my strongest uh, accent podcast this week, but you know, you know, I'm trying. Pretty. I mean, I tried out. to do Robin yeah. Williams, and it didn't. It didn't quite work. The problem with Robin Williams is you can't just do Robin Williams. You have to have about ten other impressions loaded up, yeah, <laughs> and at least half of them are slightly problematic. <laughs> yep. It's like, oh no, he's doing an Indian guy. Oh no. <laughs> So, but uh, yeah, that. something to look forward to uh, in our in our next episode. More more impressions. We got them all on lockdown. Uh, all so, right, yeah. you heard it here first, you Colin. You have until the next podcast to master your Denzel Washington impression. I uh, <laughs> don't know how I feel about that, but uh, <laughs> I'll I'll see if I can cook something up. Maybe a Stanley Tucci impression. I can. Maybe I'm just not Italian enough. I don't know. But we'll we'll see next time. Uh here on the pick. Uh we'll see you there. But before then, just try not to get bit. Oh! <laughs> <laughs>